Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who've stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the team at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode 46 of The Numbers Game. I'm Jason and I'm here with Marty and special guest today, producer Tommy. How are we going today, fellas? I'm going well, thanks, Jace. Really excited to have Tommy on the show because he's a gentleman that produces our show and he does the magic behind the scenes, but he's always been able to monetize his passions and I'm really looking forward to dig into that. Nick Riley is away in Austin, Texas on a well-earned break. But knowing Nick Riley, he'll have business plans out for the next hundred years. And he'll come back. Uh, he'll come back with an outstanding uh, business model. So good luck to Nick over there, Tommy. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on board, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Forty-six episodes in. I think I got my voice in one earlier on, but yeah, I've been holding down the fort behind the scenes. But it's it's nice. I mean, I feel like I can easily slip in. And just become Nick Riley. I mean, I have the skills, but just watching and editing and working with you guys, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I can be any one of you. <laughs> well, the, the number one thing we have come through about Nick Riley is how good looking he is. So, mate, I think you're uh, filling those shoes nicely. You're a good looking man, Tommy. So, uh, thank you for uh, filling Nick's <laughs> Absolutely. shoes. Absolutely. And we couldn't. We couldn't let you on too early because you've you've run numerous podcasts or I'll say multiple episodes of great podcasts. So you, uh, I'm very edgy because you are a true pro. So we are very. As so. a pro, I just want to lead with um, just the health of the team. Uh, <laughs> Jace, you've 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 come down with COVID, so you're still in isolation at the moment, and we haven't released the episode. You know, it's a, li- a little bit late. Yeah, the, the the listeners have been. Wondering where it is, but maybe you can give a health update. Yeah, so tested positive for COVID last Friday. Episode meant to come out Monday, so it threw all recording plans, destroyed everything. Uh, Nick's gone, I was gone. Tommy, you yourself had COVID as well, so you're you're in the. We're all in the health and safety protocols here at the Numbers Game. I joked about the episode being called the COVID Game, and uh, we just (laughs) talk about numbers with COVID, but everyone's over that. Um, Ah. Day one, two, three, four, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday were awful. It's day five for me at the moment. Um, sound sound like I've got some kind of like sex phone voice potentially happening, but um, <laughs> no, it's uh, on the mend. Feeling, feeling a lot better than the first couple of days, but uh, for anyone who hasn't had COVID yet, I do not recommend it. How do you feel, Tommy? You're on the mend as well? Yeah, I'm on the mend. I mean, it's the linger, uh, and we won't linger on this COVID <laughs> chat too long, but let me tell you, it does linger, so... You still got something to look forward to. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Well, I'm feeling great, boys. Yeah, uh, that's all I'm going to say here. And they say the show must go on, but I was too gutless to do it myself. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate the reschedule, and uh, otherwise it would have been me on my own. It would have felt very lonely. So excited for today. Speaking of the show going on, Marty, what have you got on today's show, mate? 
Well, today again, we're going to talk about all things Elon Musk with uh, with his purchase of Twitter, which is a bold move. We spoke a few episodes ago about him buying a 9% stake, but he's gone all in at $41 uh, billion and, uh, in US dollars. So we're, we're going to unpack that. So I'm excited about that. Uh, what about yourself, Jace? Mate, well, with producer Tommy on the show, um, you touched on it, touching all things monetizing your passion, but um, I'm a bit disappointed that we didn't go with the name from stripper to podcast producer. That would have been my <laughs> choice for the, for the name. And uh, Tommy, thanks for being on, mate. No worries, mate. I'm looking forward to uh, unpacking the Elon Musk and um, unpacking my past for you guys. And I would be thinking, you'd be thinking I was the stripper, but uh, (laughs) I think we'll just go into Let's Play. All right, first up, reading the play, our favourite, one of my favourite topics anyway, industry news, facts, pieces of advice. Uh, but today, going to do a little bit different rather than three different things. We're just going to deep dive into Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. So, who's done their research? Is everyone prepared off the back of our health and safety protocols? Uh, who wants to kick off? Well, I may as well start. It's uh, it's it's a bold move. And like we've said in previous episodes, we think Elon has not only purchased freedom of speech, mm. uh, but he has also purchased this advertising beast for Tesla and SpaceX and everything else he's into. But uh, yeah, $44 billion, which is about 61 bill Australian to take it all over. And I was sort of interested in regards to the process of what happened because Jack Dorsey, of course, was the original founder of Twitter with a couple of others. Uh, but yeah, the ownership stake, Jack Dorsey only has about a two 2.6% uh, share in Twitter, I found out. So he's obviously been giving away equity to uh, to build it. And the other thing is with this purchase, he stands to make about $266 million. So it's not a bad day's work. You know, that's uh, that's good. But, but he has given away a lot of equity. And I was looking at, well, who does now, you know, own Twitter? Uh, Elon Musk owns it all, but now, but who were the owners? So Vanguard Group owns 10.3%, Morgan Stanley, 8.4%, BlackRock, 6.5%, and State Street Corp, 4.5%. So they're the big owners of Twitter that stand to make a really nice windfall there. The other interesting thing about it, and this was unusual, because Twitter's not making a hell of a lot of money. Mm. It's it's just not profitable. So this is a big buy by Elon. So he's obviously got some uh, incredible plans. But the interesting fact that I found with that is um, the management team didn't own a big stake in Twitter. So... And usually when you have a purchase like this, you have to do what's in the best interest of the shareholders. So when you come in with this bigger price that Elon has, it's a great move because the best interest of the shareholders is to sell it. But the management team have been underperforming in Elon's own mind. And he's already stated, he's tweeted that I don't yeah, I don't rate the management team. And they've got such a small equity stake, but they've got big salaries. So they really wouldn't want him to buy it because he could get rid of that whole management team. So it was a bit of toing and froing, but in the end, you have to do what's best for the shareholders. So Elon gets the prize. So, yeah, what do you think about that, Jase? Well, you're either green and growing or you're ripe (laughs) and rotting. And uh, I think Twitter's been on the decline for... Oh, nearly 10 years. It's it's had negative users, uh, less engagement, everything else. And the numbers you've shared around, you know, the board, the board salaries, board wages, lack of ownership at the board level um, and uh, people running the company, 
that's Elon's going to come in and change that straight away. He's he's already kind of talking about you know cutting salaries and bringing in his own CEO who'll run the show. So it's I mean it's really interesting. I mean why why buy Twitter? Um, you know you sit back and go opportunity comes to my mind. Um, Elon is this brain and the way he works and how he sees things. And you've got hundreds of millions of users um, that have got this, you know, this platform that has been relatively untouched for a decade. Um, You know, I was looking at kind of the things that he's talked about that he wants to do when he comes in. This is the most basic thing ever, but I did a tweet on the weekend and and had a spelling mistake and I was like, oh, quickly just, I don't use Twitter that often. I'm going to punch out an edit and just fix my spelling mistake so I don't look like an idiot. Can't edit your tweet. Like, I had to delete it and I was starting to get traction because, you know, I'm a funny guy. And um, no, 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 not a single person had liked my tweet. I don't have uh, much going on on Twitter. But um, yeah, actually, Nathaniel from my team had liked my tweet. So thanks, Nath. Um, thanks for your support, mate. Um, but yeah, look, uh, really, really interesting. I think um, some of the numbers that would be interesting to share, Marty, you might have uh, had a look at how's he going to fund this, though? Like, how do you pull $44 billion? Out of your bank account, like I'm sure, like Elon is the richest man in the world with with a net worth of around 250 billion, and it fluctuates up and down depending on the value of Tesla stocks. But that's not liquid cash. So what what are the ways that he's going to go about actually pulling this off? Yeah, well, he's going to fund a good portion of it himself. I think it's around about 26 bill of his own money that he's going to chip in, you know, just under the bed money. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, a bit that's sickening, quite nice. And then he's got, you know, he's got banks and institutions to back that up to make the difference there. So it's like, yeah, he's got the funding. He's the richest man in the world and his company's worth a bomb. So, yeah, he would have organised that in advance to know what he could do and why he wanted to do it that way. So, um, yeah, but it's weird, weird to think that you could have all your ducks in a line on on 44 bill US uh, in advance. It shows you the power that he has mm. in, uh, you know, in what he can do. Marty, you mentioned the revenue of Twitter and I did see, um, and you kind of talked that it wasn't much. I mean, it's in the billions per year. But in comparison to something like Facebook that's making almost a hundred billion in revenue a year, it seems it seems crazy. Why why do you think like in, in your mind, just the, the the sum of buying a business that isn't turning a profit might cost more, it's you know, it's not lucrative. There's obviously things that he's not he's seeing that most people aren't seeing. What do you think a couple of the things that he's seeing? Great question. I think there's a fundamental difference between Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is obviously rich on advertising, 86%. Everyone's using it. Like, you know, their, their, their use rate is enormous. Mm. And I think they've got, you know, they've got big plans to go into the metaverse. So that's their play. I think the difference with Elon Musk is he's looking at Twitter as an advertising arm for Tesla and SpaceX and everything else he's involved with. So I feel like it's probably a tenth of the cost. He could see the massive upside because of what Facebook has done and he'll reshape it and repurpose it to make it very attractive for people to use. And I'm like, Jace, Jace's got... I think about three followers. I've got about two on Twitter because we've joined up because of Muskie. So, uh, but, but yeah, I feel like he's thinking about his businesses and advertising for his businesses. He's utilizing the free speech play, which is, which is very exciting. Uh, but I still think the way he uses Twitter, he uses it the, the best of any entrepreneur that I've seen. 
and he's just going to have massive profits in Tesla and SpaceX based on what mm. how he utilizes it. And I think he'll also see the upswing on what he can do with the platform itself and generate revenues on that. But I don't think he needs to. That's the thing because he's got these execution channels. It's like we talk about in the podcast, like we have financial products off the back of the podcast. We have a clear execution channel. I think that's how he sees Twitter. Mm. I think he just he just puts out advertising a tweet. Here's the new car. Car sell off the production line, and so so he's got. I think, yeah, real clear parameters around I can get upscale on advertising if I want with mm. Twitter and that's okay, uh, but really where my money's going to be made is in my own businesses and I own the biggest newspaper technically in the world. Mm. But but for me, for example, I, I would get frustrated with Twitter. Like I think about my usage of LinkedIn and, and even Facebook. Like I like LinkedIn a lot because it's businessy, but um, – but it's, um, yeah, but I would use those platforms, Instagram and things like that, just in my personal and business life. Whereas Twitter, I don't know, there's something about it where it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't personally engage me as much. Mm. Um, and I know people love it at some level, but for me, it's, it, I think he'll bring in that personal engagement into Twitter, reshape it, and he'll have everyone utilising it. And he can see so much upscale because of what Facebook has done. But, yeah, but that's my thought process uh, on that, Tommy. I have a few numbers because it wouldn't be the numbers game without uh, reading off a few. So one thing that I was a bit curious about is, you know, we talk to clients about servicing their home loans and paying their debt, right? So listen to these numbers. On the value of the loan that Musk needs to pull this off, he's looking at about $1.25 billion in interest repayments, (laughs) assuming about a 5% interest rate on the loan. Now, to service the $1.25 billion, he's kind of said that Twitter's free-flowing cash flow would be used to service this along with other things. Plus, obviously, he's a wealthy man himself. Twitter has generated $868 million was its last time it was cash flow positive back in 2018. Last year, it went backwards $370 million, had negative cash flow of $370 million. So, Elon's got a big job in turning this around if it's going to support itself. I mean, all good and well that he can use it to make money over in Tesla and SpaceX and the Boring Company and Solar City and whatever else he's got going on. He's, he's a man with many, many ventures. Um, but $1.25 billion, do that for a couple of years and it goes backwards and he's left servicing all of this. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big gamble um, on a, you know, something that we don't know if it's... I mean, look, we, we back Elon because we've seen what he's done in the past. But the other side of it is... It's been talked about that if he was to walk away, that actually looks like an, an all right option at the moment, even though he loses a billion dollars, which is the the final penalty for walking away from the deal. Now, most people, to, to, to lose a billion dollars would leave them in financial ruin, but for Elon Musk, you know, it's the potential that, you know, he walks away, he looks at these numbers and goes, look, servicing $1.25 billion in interest repayments on a company that's losing money? Maybe not. It's crazy. I think, um, Marty, you hit the nail on the head probably four or five weeks ago just about Elon's strategy of we don't spend money marketing and publicity is what he's a king of creating for free. And, you know, if it ends up costing him a billion bucks, he's never spent any money on marketing. Uh, So then this is he's the most talked about person along with being the the richest person in the world or, you know, up there. 
and so he's he's won in many respects. Um, the 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 thought of a private, uh, sorry, a public company like Twitter, owned by all those shareholders, you said, Marty, going private. It's you know, when have we seen this in terms of history of huge juggernaut businesses, whether they're making money or not, but just huge, ginormous audience, and then them shifting back to a private entity? One that I thought of that was really like a, one that an Australian audience would understand would be Myob or MYOB. So, MYOB was ASX listed, and then it was bought out by, I think, KKR Private Equity or KKR Equity. They took Myob private again and took it took it away. So you think about the pressure that Myob's been under with Zero coming into Australia and Zero's growth over the years. Um, to be ASX listed, you're in the public eye. People are always, you know, all your shareholders get to question what's going on. You've got your, um, you know, uh, board meetings and agendas and AGMs and everything else where all these people with a little one percent, you know, zero percent shareholdings can come along and crack the shits about what the performance of the company. And pulling it back private just meant private equity firm were able to take it offline and go back to doing things behind the scenes without the public eye staring at it and questioning it all day, every day. Um, so, that was one of the bigger so Chase, ones. Chase, could I ask, ask a question there? So that, that makes sense. Like if they're in the public eye then and they're not performing well, they could get crucified if they want to revamp the business, I guess, and, and come back with a stronger foundation. But that to me, yeah, sounds like it would make sense. In, in your eyes too? Yep, definitely. Look, they, they needed to go reinvent the wheel behind the scenes without the pressure of the yep. public eye. Um, whether they have done that or have not done that, I mean, leaves to be seen. That was 2019. I think they came off the ASX and look, I mean, I, I'm probably a little bit vested in the zero ecosystem and zero world, big avid fan, but Myob seems to have let zero overtake them in, in all sorts of ways in the cloud ecosystem. So that was probably one of the, the bigger ones. Um, some of the more worldwide known names of things that, that were public that have gone private include Burger King. So Burger King was bought out by, again, a private equity business. Uh, Yahoo. I actually like um, had a bit of a, you know, think back to my, you know, early teenage years, I reckon like Yahoo was one of those ones. I think you could like I'm going to call it Google. I think you used to be able to Yahoo and you could search mm. for things on the internet using Yahoo. Plus it was a news platform and all these other things. And I remember having Yahoo on my like first desktop computer and I mean, it was a big beastie thing, but, and then yeah, all of a sudden what's, what's Yahoo doing now? I mean, it's, it's gone private. Uh, Dell was another one as well. Dell, Dell was publicly listed, the computer company. Um, and that was taken private as well. So there, there has been some big well-known companies that were publicly listed that went private. Um, and they're, they're still around today. Mm. I, I find it amazing some of these businesses that are just, you know, uh, plodding along but worth an absolute fortune. So Snapchat, I know, Marty, you're probably across that, mate. Snapchat. <laughs> no, I actually- What's that? Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> self-destructing messages. Um, it's very self-destructive in its nature for people that use it. No, but it's. I saw that that was uh, offered to be purchased off- uh, Kevin, Evan Spiegel, can't remember his name, but married to Miranda Kerr, the owner of that, created it for $2 Evan. billion Facebook offered him years ago. I just saw now it's worth $100 billion and I didn't even know it still was around. But, I mean, these, these numbers that you throw out, you know, Twitter generating revenue of in the billions, you know, or, you know, worth these numbers, it's, it's, it's just out of 
this world because you then see people on Twitter, which is I was just reading, you know, the stream of people commenting on, you know, the sale of Twitter, but people just, you know, doing some numbers or crunching some numbers very simplistically to then say, well, if it's, you know, 66 billion Australian dollars, you could then give every single person in the world $700. something like, you know, they're, they're doing mm. these numbers, right? And they're, they're almost reality checks. Not that that's mm. going to happen. I mean, he, he's not just going to give away four, 66 billion Australian dollars to, you know, individuals. But it's when you do see it, you know, solve poverty within the States for 20 billion. You see all these numbers, you know, solve X. And it's, mm. yeah, it really puts it into perspective. Um, but he's playing another, he's in another stratosphere. He'd be thinking on a, like, like we, a level we can't even comprehend, right? So it's like, but like you said, Tommy, before, I think the fundamentals are he's going to use it as twofold, a big, he doesn't have a PR area for Tesla. So he's probably invested that money as his PR now. Uh, so in, in Twitter, so that makes sense. And he can also see there's an upscale that probably no one else can see in Twitter where he'll be able to at least get to Facebook levels and he'll do it behind the scenes so no one's watching, so he'll take it private. So even if you look at that link, um, but then he comes out with strange tweets like, you know, I'm going to now buy Macca's McDonald's because the soft serve ice <laughs> Cream is terrible. So I go. He, he's always there's this. He's always playing in the shadows of uh, what uh, what's logic and what is just right out there in the universe mean, that we you can't mean buying Coca Cola and put the cocaine back in it as well. Yeah, but yeah, buying Coca Cola. Well. Yeah, he said that as well. It's like stuff like that. I just uh, yeah, I just go. But it's fascinating. You can't help but be entertained in uh, in what's going on. Yeah. So I think that's the thing. While everyone else is trying to is worried about filling up a tank of petrol <laughs> but with put inflation put this going up. Put it this way, yeah. and then, since you've said the filling up a tank of petrol thing, <laughs> this is the guy that in 2004 bet his entire life on Tesla. So when, yeah. when you think about a guy who makes decisions, um, you know, he was part of the founding founders of PayPal. Back in the 90s, he created a website that helped people get on the internet um, as business owners to create their own websites. So the guy's brain is ahead of the times and ahead of things. So in the 90s, help people get on the internet. Then it was how do people get paid on the internet? PayPal. Then from PayPal, it was SpaceX, space exploration, because nothing had happened for such a long period of time. He was frustrated. Then he came across Tesla. Somebody else had already invented it. But he bet his entire fortune on Tesla being successful back in 2004 and worked his ass off for the better part of nearly two decades to make sure Tesla was successful. Um, if you want to read a book about that, it's called Power Play, The Bet of a Century, of the Century. It has opened my mind to how crazy Elon Musk's brain is and the way it works. So I sit back and go, this purchase of Twitter, we've seen nothing yet with what he's going to do with it. Because if you look at what Tesla was in 2004 to where it is today, I'd be very interested that, you know, we might come back and do a, you know, special episode 3077, um, you know, in 2030 something, uh, 2040. Uh, when, when all of us are still obviously recording podcasts because we love what we do, and uh, we'll have to revisit this episode and see uh, what's happened with Twitter. But yeah, you got to back the horse, don't you, with with Elon? Because you know, like you said, he's near bankrupt uh, a couple of times, and he goes all in. What was one thing you picked up out of that book, Jace? Was there anything that you picked? One lesson you picked up out of that book that really resonated from just a practical yeah the, usage. The- 
purpose and belief in why you're doing something. So that the connection of why Tesla, I think, ended up being so successful is it wasn't about creating a car. It was about this bigger vision of of saving the world from an environment perspective. Like we dig into the earth, we bring up all this petrol and we burn oils and everything else. And for him, the true purpose of Tesla was to put an affordable electric vehicle into every single driveway around the world so that we could be driving an electric car to save the environment, not be burning fossil fuels. So that underlying purpose and vision is what kept everyone, like there was days where you know, he, he couldn't make payroll and he was telling people, look, I just need you to hustle a little bit harder. I need you to work those extra hours to get this car, this demo car completed so that we don't go bankrupt. And that purpose, that underlying purpose is what drove his team and him to keep on going. So for me, like that's, that's littered throughout the whole book that every single time they're up against a wall and the whole thing's about to fail, he gets people to believe in the vision. You know, the only way you can walk into... I think it's like the one of the founders of Google, like I think his name's Larry. And he's like, mate, I need you to back me. I need some more money. And he's talking about why, like why this mission was so important. So yeah, that's that's what I took out of it. I think I think that's the brilliant thing about uh, being a visionary. And we could all be that on a smaller scale. But I, I guess on a bigger scale, if we want to have a crack too. But it's um, the great thing about having a vision is sometimes you're the only one that can see it. And you've got to be able to execute it. And I think some of those visionaries, as soon as they come up with a concept, they've already started that process of execution in their head, whereas others may have a vision but never get started um, because it's too grand. So uh, what I respect out of people like Elon and people like that is they have that type of vision, which everyone would think is a delusion, but they've already got the cogs turning and they're executing on on achieving that, which is quite remarkable. The process is excellent. It's just, I guess, how far our vision stretches. Uh, and I guess that depends on the individual and where we're at. So very powerful. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, hello at thenumbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, now it's my favourite time of the show. We're heading into losing it, which is uh, where we learn from the mistakes of others and the mistakes of ourselves to hopefully share lessons to to our audience that you don't have to do the same. And today, Tommy's going to kick it off. Uh, And today, we're going to talk about business partnerships, Tommy. Um, So let's... Let's kick it off. What have you got for us? Yeah, well, I think, Marty, I, I love this segment and I know it's yours. So thank you for handing the baton over to me. Um, you know, I think there's something in losing. The, the essence of your segment is like learning from losing, right? Um, which is almost reframing a loss. You look at so many winners out there and, and I think uh, we're so used to just looking around and seeing winners, people like Elon Musk, which we're just talking about, and easy to see the success that everyone's having. But you know what? The majority of people aren't having those kind of wins in life. And if you're looking at businesses, I just looked up you know, uh, the percentage of businesses that fail. 20% of businesses fail in their first year and around 60 will bust within the first um, three to five years, mm-hmm. which if you were running your life based on the reality of winning or losing, you probably wouldn't commit to doing much. 
And for me, my personal story around business partnerships, I I left school when I was 17. I started my own PT business. That was a solo business, which I kept running for about nine years. And I've since had a couple of other businesses, but specifically around the partnerships. You know, mm. as they say, a fa- the fastest sinking ship is a partnership. And, <laughs> um, and boy, do they go down quickly sometimes. But mm. in saying that, I, um, I had a, a, it was my first media business that I had. A friend of mine said to me, um, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to follow your passion more. You, you need to start doing something yourself. And he said, I'll go into business with you and I'll front a bit of cash so you can get started. And if I didn't say yes to that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. And my next business was a result of that partnership. As much as that didn't continue, I moved on to my next business, which was big media company with my mate Josh, and this is how I've come to meet you guys. And you could say it's a loss or we didn't keep it going, but I, I guess the essence of what I'm saying is that if you, the journey is so mm. much more important and actually committing and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So you you move into a business partnership or start a business and there's all these things that will come. And so the lessons that have come from the failed businesses that I've had are the greatest wins that I've had. Yeah. Which which seems seems silly and they've caused a bunch of pain financially, mentally, but on the other side you realize it is all for the next part of your journey. And so, I, I, Jace, I know you've had a mm. business um, that has shifted and I, I, I could imagine you'd feel the same in, in respects to the journey side of things. 100%. I think you framed it really well around the purpose of why losing it exists as a segment is to, to learn from it and, and to take those lessons and propel, propel yourself forward, right? Um, and I think, you know, as long as you have the right mindset and frame things correctly, there's always a silver lining. There's always a lesson to take out of it. And- you know, the every single thing that's led to where I am today or where we are today is because of a bunch of events that have happened in the past. And some of them were good and some of them were pretty crap. Um, but yeah, I completely agree that those those partnership lessons or business lessons where um, you have dealings with people, you get involved and, you know, things can change really quickly. Businesses are hard to run and it gets stressful and there's so many decisions every day. So, um, you know, I think the the main thing that comes out of that for me is knowing why you're doing it and and what each person brings to a partnership and then communication. I mean, if you're not communicating all the time, as soon as that stuff falls over, you know, as you said, it's, it's a sinking ship. So very good lessons. It's a business marriage and, and a lot of people don't think about it in that way, but it is. And you think, like I said, that divorce rate in marriages is pretty high, around 45, 50%. So you can imagine what business partnerships, uh, what that percentage rate would be. And I, I think, you know, I've always found great partnerships there, exactly what you've, you've hit the nail on the head, you know, respect, good communication, and an understanding of what contribution you're making to that partnership. I've found the best partnerships have been uh, when people have come in with complementary skill sets and different skill sets as well, where someone has a strength in a certain area and the other person sort of caters for the, the limitation as well. And together it, it works really, really well. But there's also an understanding that um, how it starts is not always how it ends and, and that business partners grow at different rates 
rates personally and mm. sometimes their priorities change and mm. they might want to drive in different directions. Some people want to be might hit a certain patch of performance and want to stay conservative in that and protect it, where others want to continue to drive aggressively. So motivations can change uh, during the business. So I think as long as that transparency is there, um, it's really important. And like I've said in other podcast episodes, it's sometimes what's not said is very dangerous. Mm. So that's why communication is everything. If someone, if you feel even intuitively that someone's a little bit off, you just want to have a chat and say, what's wrong? Are you okay? Um, what's going through your head? You, you just want to get everything out on the table so you can make the best decision forward. And uh, look, I have, I hand on heart have been very, very fortunate in my partnerships um, that my partners in the two businesses previously have all been, are all friends today. Uh, but there was just a shift of dynamic and we wanted different things. And, um, and we went on to do those different things individually or with other partners. And I think you still have to have the flexibility to know when that time is over mm. and that that's okay, mm. uh, you know, if that happens. Or like some great partnerships, you go go on for generations. So it's um, it's it's very hard to call. It, it's very nimble. It's very um, it's very real time sometimes. And yeah, but when it can go bad, it can go really bad. And I'm I'm not a defensive player usually. I'm pretty offensive in my um, in my approach to business. Uh, pretty aggressive. But even having like parameters that if something does go wrong, what's the agreement? The, like if we do, if we disagree at some point and things turn sour, well, what is the fundamental plan and agreement to deal with that beyond our own emotions? So at least we've got a fallback. And it might be that we never action that plan. Like we might do a, a solicitor's plan around it to say if things go bad, we're going to do this, we're going to sell or someone's going to buy someone else. Now, it might be we get to that point and decide to exit, but we don't execute that plan. We, we you know, we're still on favourable terms. Uh, we have a discussion and we come to a fair agreement. Happens in marriages too, mm. right? So it's like, but it's it's no different there. But as long as you you understand that, and I'm very fortunate with Nick and, and Jordan and Caden in the business here as well. It's like three brothers, but there's a plan in place. Mm. If something goes amiss, you know, there's there's real commercial logistics that can be executed very quickly in order to cater if something went wrong. Mm. So I think that's really important uh, in regards to partnerships yeah. and and uh, it's a very delicate area yeah. too. The other thing I'm hearing as well um, from your bit, Tommy, is that Without partnerships, there's a lot of people, or there's potentially you wouldn't have gone into business a couple of times without partnerships being there to fuel that that decision to get involved. So I think where sometimes partnerships can be seen as a as a as a losing it because it's hard work and partnerships are hard, but also some of the best businesses that I've seen have been where partners or different parties have come together to get started, and without each other, they wouldn't be where they are today. So there's there's always that um, you know to take that positive note of you know not you not don't want to go it alone. Mm, absolutely, I mean it, it's crazy to think that we uh, are trying to avoid suffering or pain constantly, but mm. it is I mean pick your poison. It's a relationship with your husband or wife. We, you know there are moments of pain, and in anything we do, there are moments of pain. And suffering, and sometimes it could be the the suffering is 
actually m- more conducive to running an operation by yourself. But then the pain of being in a business partnership is real, but it's not as bad as trying to go it alone. And so, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, hindsight's uh, very helpful looking back and, you know, seeing the thread of, oh, I actually love um, that, you know, collaboration and working with somebody and, and learning together and having someone on your side that you can just talk with on a daily basis. And, you know, I, I run my own business now by myself, just, you know, it's after the fact of having a business partnership and, you know, the the my ability in running my own business now is only due to the fact of the journey from the partnerships that I've had. And so you can easily see the the end of something as a real loss mm-hmm. uh, and it's only until you reframe that and maybe it takes time to reframe something to look at it and go, well, look at all the things I am capable of now based on that part of the journey. I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't have the connections that I do, the relationships, or even the understanding of what I just didn't know before. So if you don't know that communication is very important, you know, you work that out very quickly. And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You can read a handbook on business and safeguard everything, but it can just go the other way, you know, even when you've planned. And who who's then left to deal with it? It's you in your own mind. And so, you know, from these hard times, I've found that it's, I've worked more on myself or, you know, how mm. I'm dealing with the situation then, you know, you know, it's just sort of passing blame or, you know, it was their problem. It's yeah. like I, I was part of the problem in any of these times. And I am also the solution for how, how I'm seeing everything that's happening. It's a, it's a great point, Tommy. And I, to add to that, I, I think about how, think about how you can be a great partner as well like think about you know as an individual you're bringing your own ideas to the table in your own business but you also think like and i've had to think that in threes with with um and fours even with caden geordie and nick they're going how can i be a great partner how can i support my partner um, they might have blind spots. They might just need encouragement. Um, there might be something I've seen in the past that I can bring to the table. Um, so, so what's my, you know, what's my part in that relationship? And that's no different to me planning um, my family life. Like, how, what am I doing with my my other half, with Colleen? Like, go out for dinner at a new restaurant every fortnight. What's our relationship as a family with Charlie? What's my relationship with Charlie? And what am I doing independently as well? What are my interests? As long as you cover all those and think about how, how wonderful it is when you plan that, when you place so much importance on your own family, just the same as you would do in your business. But I don't think any differently to that. I think what's my relationship with Geordie, you know, as friends and also as business colleagues. Same with Nick, friends and business colleagues. You know, Caden, the same. And I go, I look at it like that. Like I want to bring a human element Mm. to what I do, but I also want to bring a capability that advances the business in combination with those guys. And I have to say, and now being in business since I was 28, so it's nearly 21 years. Um, I'm so grateful. I, the older I get, the more grateful I am uh, to my partners. And, and you're explaining that too, Tommy. I go, every time I come away with a, with a result, 
And whether it's it's good, ugly, or indifferent, it's um, there's so much value to have in in having the experience of being involved with partners. And and I also agree with what Tommy's doing too. Sometimes you need to go and do something yourself, you know, in order to extract all your ideas on the table and really put it out there in a in a in your own way like it's like playing singles in tennis you know it's great fun playing doubles but sometimes you just got to have a crack and see what you find and what you explore and then that might be the cog to partner into something um, that you want to do moving forward. So it's a really wonderful thing. I love partnerships. I love sport teams. Uh, there's a connectedness with it when it works well. It's great. There's there's an absolute misery when it doesn't work well. But like I say to Charlie, uh, I had to give a presentation yesterday in front of about 45 people and Charlie goes, Oh, isn't that scary? And and aren't you nervous? And and I go, yeah, all of that. And I said, I haven't done it for three years. But the other option is to not do it. Mm. So I said, when I do it, I'll have the experience of what it's like, and I'll learn something for next time. And I said to him, that's the difference. It's like it's very easy not to not to front up. And whether that's in a speaking engagement, whether it's as a partner in a relationship or whether it's in a business. So turn up, give your best, and you'll always find a way. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, into the one percenters where, as I said earlier, I was upset that it wasn't called from stripping to podcast producing. And we're going to unpack a bit of the life of Tommy where he's been able to turn passions and monetize his passions, so turning everything into a job or a career. Uh, Tommy, for the audience, I guess, give us a bit of a background on on Tommy's story. Where did it all start, mate? Uh, yes, I was a stripper at some point. <laughs> I'll get to that. But, um, yeah, I guess you could see, uh, you know, it's interesting sort of relating to your life as, you know, the, the jobs that you have, but I think that's mm. very common when people think about their past, and maybe there's some chapters for me, and the first chapter was – uh, personal training as a career, um, as a passion, as something that I was doing. That was chapter one. Chapter two, stripping. Uh, <laughs> chapter three is media. And chapter four is my life now, I guess. And so if you're going back, I was 17 when I left school and I, um, my exit plan was I work for my dad. And I think yep. you just need an exit plan. Um, out of school, or your parents at least want to know that you are going to do something other than just watch television. And so I worked for my dad, who was a landscaper, and um, I enjoyed working outdoors. But it was it was only until I sort of got out of my life as a student to then be able to see the possibilities. And I worked out that I could uh, become a personal trainer, do an eight week course. You you had to you know you had seventeen years old was the youngest you could be, and I thought mate, this is me. I'm 17. I can start my PT <laughs> course. And I did it and I passed. And well um, they pass everyone. But I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I at least had that sort of confidence going into it. And I landed my first job in a gym that I'd been training at when I was young. And so the connection, my passion was health and fitness, kickboxing, weights. And I, I just saw that as a great direction for my career. And mm. I started working in a gym. And that led me to chapter two, uh, which was stripping, <laughs> which I know you wanted to get to straight away, Jace. Yeah, but I did. Chapter one sort of was a <laughs> nine-year uh, career in personal training where oh, it wow. was, you know, 
created my, you know, I got my first ABN, Jace. Um, I think it was, here's a story for you. I almost got a job at Fitness First. And so my ABN was actually in relation, in the name was something to do with Fitness First. Oh, really? Anyway, I kept it. I traded through it. And that went on for many, many years. Um, but my my personal training course, I actually, one of the lecturers was a young bloke who um, I, after the course, bumped into in the gym that I was working at. And we struck up a friendship and he um, told me that he was doing some topless waitering. And I, I thought, oh, what's that about? And he said, well, you know, you just get paid to w- basically work out. And in my mind, I was already training really hard. I had my, my business, my personal training business. And I thought, oh, why don't I do that? And so we ended up over the time doing some jobs for a guy who had a business. And then we thought, why can't we create our own? And this was my first business partnership where we created a company called Aussie Spunks. And we, you know, <laughs> dropped about 10 grand on some great branding and took out a um, ad in Yellow Pages. I think that was about five to six K back then. And we got a website which was um, quite forward back then. I mean, it's this This was when I was 19, so it's, you know, 12, 13 years ago now. Tell me Aussie uh, Spunks no still, does it still exist, Aussie Spunks? No, I think you can do like a way back when search and see just like, we, we invested money into a flash website, probably wasn't the greatest. Um, but either way, we were getting jobs uh, through this um, Yellow Pages ad and through the website and actually it actually worked. And there was a time where I went over to New Zealand and toured and we did about 30 shows, like a big stage show, um, kind of like the Chippendales, uh, Magic Mike vibe. It was very Magic Mike. I watched that back and I thought that was exactly what happened. Um, but it was within that that, you know, that partnership ended up falling apart and some of the details he, you know, he, he, my business partner took some money and then we had a contract that he would buy the, the business off me, but then he stole the website. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you can, you can walk away with a lesson with your clothes on or, you know, stick around and fight without your clothes on. Uh, I chose to put them back on. And I, it was in that time where I was, I started um, getting an interest in becoming a presenter. I mean, that was all that was in my mind back then. Chapter three, it was, I want to I want to work in the media, whether it's television presenting. I didn't quite know what it was, but it was something inside me that wanted to attack, you know, this career for myself. Did that, and, did that come from being on the stage? Like, where, where did you, where do you think that comes from that? Uh, it's pro- I probably wanted to be famous. Okay. I mean, that's probably the r- reality back then, which is not the reality that transpired, but it's hmm. uh, maybe a driving force that you just, I mean, it's probably the version of kids saying now they want to be a YouTuber, right? Yep. And it's like, yep. you don't know why. They don't know why they say that. <laughs> but I thought, well, I actually started training and getting doing like short courses on presenting and I worked out, I, I'm actually not bad at this. But then that's what sort of led me to pick up a camera and start filming and filming myself mm. and, um, and, and doing presenting. And it was that journey where I built confidence in front of a camera, built confidence talking. And it's funny, that led me to um, have an opportunity with Fox FM, the radio station in Melbourne, 
Mm. I, I got asked to come in and do a development day where they got, you know, people from around the country, put them in pairs in radio studios and you told stories. And I I managed to, from that, land a radio gig in Shepparton. So, you know, it was that initial thought of becoming a presenter and, mm. oh, I kind of like this, to working out, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite good at this and managing to land a, a job where I moved to Shepparton uh, and work for two years hosting a breakfast radio show. Um, and, you know, that was, that, that was my first taste of a real job in media. And, you know, from there I was creating video content and then fell in love with, uh, you know, filming and editing. And that since led in, in the media portion of of my life, the chapter three, that was very much where I um, decided to create a video production company. And it's what I do still today. And, you know, it incorporates both audio and video, my mm. business now. But it's, it's, you know, something that I've always found is through any of these chapters, I've been in love with the process. As hard as it's been, very, you know, painful learning how to edit or learning how to use cameras or putting yourself out there on the microphone, talking, being on radio. It's, but, it's, but it's so aligned with what I've just thought and, and the, the path that I've created for myself. And I guess now, chapter four, I, you know, I've, I've got a family as well, which has been a part of that journey. And I've met my wife while I was in Shepparton. And I've, you know, since continued my video and podcast production business. And we have two kids. And so, yeah, it's interesting looking at your life in chapters from a career perspective. And for me, ever since leaving school, I've just had this innate desire to follow the thing that I'm interested in, not do the thing that just makes me a bit of money or, you know, I've really put forward the, the passion and then I guess, Marty, as you said, monetizing that in some way, um, whether it be large or small, but it's, it seemed to have worked for me along this journey. Yeah, I really admire that. Um, out of school, obviously, uh, doing stand-up comedy uh was was obviously passionate and i just reflecting on your story i was thinking about myself as a 15 year old uh, and we had tape recorders back then where you press the record button and it would tape things off the tv or music off the radio right and i remember wanting to be a sports commentator so i would actually uh, record on vhs the footy for that night and then I'd do a recording of my voice commentating over the pictures mm. and just had this absolute passion for presenting and also in stand-up comedy. But the thing I think where I made a mistake that you haven't and what I really admire is I did follow the money because mm. I was really early on in my, in my comedy career and it was going well. But I just thought I couldn't see an end point. I thought I'm never going to be a Billy Connolly or a Robin Williams. I'm never going to be that world famous star, right? Mm -hmm. And somewhere in my mind, not having keeping that delusion was a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because I thought, all right, well, what can I do? I've done this. It was pretty courageous, uh, and I'd monetized it to a point, but it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. I wanted to go so quickly, and then I obviously went into finance. 
Now, I flipped that. I use all those skill sets of comedy and presenting and as I did yesterday in finance. And uh, But it's almost been a fear of mine not to have the money, right? And maybe that comes from not having a lot when I grew up. Always was okay, but always felt like money was an issue. So I feel like that had to be taken care of. Um, and that was a part of that choice point. But what I really admire about what you've discussed is you've you've moved um, and integrated from passion to passion and you've monetized on the back end of that passion. You've held your authenticity throughout that process. And that I feel that will continue to expand for you because you honor yourself authentically. Whereas I feel like I made a left turn where I could have gone right. And, and even though it's been okay for me, but I've had to always find that creative outlet in the finance industry to really, you know, stimulate myself because otherwise it is just a bunch of numbers and we love numbers, but it's a, it, you have to have that creative element. So I really admire the story. And I know, Jace, you have those attributes as well with the gin business, or the, you know, the side hustle and your creativity and your presentations. I think we are really creative beings and we love to see, we love to express ourselves from that place. Um, and we can get boxed into certain industries um, for various different reasons. And that's okay too. But it's, it's, I think the important lesson I'm hearing from you is that, that it's a very authentic, transparent journey, not to say that there's not pain along the way. That happens anyway. You know, there's not to say that there's not great, great moments along the way as well. That happens as well. That's, uh, but that path is really important. And I'm just thinking about any young people listening at the moment where their parents are saying, you should get a real career or you should do this or you should do that. Um, to be very gentle and careful with that statement, to say, look at what the child's interest is, even if they're a teenager or young child, and foster that interest into something quite remarkable because that, uh, that individual spirit has a lot to offer if it's, if it's nurtured in the right way. So very inspirational, Tommy. I really, I really admire that. Anything to add there, Jace? Yeah, I'm, I feel the same way. Inspirational and motivated were kind of the words that came to me in a sense that so many people go and take jobs in, in careers that they didn't want to be in and they're not happy because they're not living a life fulfilling their passion or, or their desires or things that make them happy. And, you know, listening to Tommy reminded me of Gretchen Rubin. Um, the, she has this book called The Happiness Project. Uh, she was a lawyer and she left a high paid lawyer job to become a writer. Um and talks about how it changed her life to to pursue her passion and fulfill her her actual like desire of being a writer and sharing information with the world versus you know walk, working a corporate job nine to fives you know punching legal the legal clock you know so um, I love Tommy that you've been able to monetize your passions and and continue to evolve and change over the years as well. Um, I wanted to ask a question to you if I'm alright to segue a little bit. Um, the reason we're here doing a podcast is we we worked future advisory worked with big media company um, as accountants and then also got to know you guys through the daily talk show. Now for the listeners out there, go and have a look at the daily talk show podcast. You'll find it on all your good podcasting uh, devices and opera operating things. My brain is not working with this bloody COVID brain fog. Um, <laughs> you did over a thousand episodes. Almost, it was pretty much daily, right? So you yeah. you recorded an episode a day for like three and a half years. What were some of the lessons that you learnt from that kind of commitment? And congratulations on that, because that is a huge thing for somebody to be able to pull off. 
Um, what what did what are your key takeaways from doing the daily talk show, and and what did you learn about yourselves and the journey? Yeah, I guess the daily talk show connects to, uh, I guess what I was saying earlier about one of the business partnerships, um, which was big media company I had with my mate Josh, and you know it it was really you know in hindsight a journey we went on. I was um, in a business partnership that then sort of ended and Josh and I created one because we had this vision together and this sort of, you know, I think we're very aligned in that we have been lucky that we um, have found something we're passionate about that we can then do for a job, which is media, Mm -hmm. video production. And, you know, that sort of Josh had a background in podcasting and I had the background in radio. And so we were very aligned in the mission that we were on or the the journey that we were on together. And so when we the, the podcast started before our business partnership and we, you know, like anything, you don't know if it will work and you won't know if it works unless you give it a crack. And even as I say that, you might not even know the definition of working when you start. You might just have in your mind, oh, lots and lots of downloads, millions of dollars, lots of fun, you know, like whatever it be. You know, sometimes it's subconscious. You actually just have this urge to start the thing. And so us starting the daily talk show was, I guess, pivotal in my journey because it was um, a commitment to creativity every single day, which Mm. then a part of that journey, uh, you know, just looking back, we developed an audience, we developed, you know, relationships and a team, and we managed to start building out a business. And both of us, you know, did something that we'd never done before is, you know, build a team of staff, whether it's right or wrong in your mind, you think, ah, an office sounds great, a studio sounds amazing, staff paying payroll and superannuation, (laughs) isn't that the dream? And that journey evolves and, and plays out. And it's only Mm. until you are in the middle of it that you can take the learnings away from it because you can theorize and strategize before you've done something. Mm. But until you have the real world context and maybe pain or pleasure from the experience, can you then make real decisions? And so Mm. we did, you know, three, three and a half years of creating daily and the friction of that, the joy from that, the journey from that was amazing. And I mean, so many, so many lessons personally, I think I, I, so you, you asked about the the lessons, if anything, all the lessons were my personal evolution, you know, mm. the, the requirement for me to do something like meditation every day has changed my life. And I don't mm. think I would have started that if it wasn't for the friction of the daily talk show. And when I say friction, it's good friction. It's, mm. you know, needing to show up, needing to be creative, needing to communicate every day, um, also running the business. And so, mm. I mean, there's so many lessons I learned from running a business, being in a partnership, the importance of communication, but also the importance of managing yourself in the middle of that. That mm. was my biggest takeaway was, yeah, if I can change my my mind, I can change my world or the world because yep. I'm only seeing it through my lens and I can't experience someone else's lens, but I can certainly shift th- my view of the situation. Is there an episode or a moment that jumps out in your head? Like if the best time 
on the daily talk show or something that, that sticks with you to this day? Um, as you may have felt the theme that we chose the journey over the money. And one of those moments was um, going to New York City, booking mm. a trip. Probably wasn't the best financial situa- <laughs> uh, decision, but we lent into that journey. And one of those days in New York, this is what happened. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> we got up at like 5 a.m. to go and interview Seth Godin. Wow. Seth Godin is a marketing guru, written many, many books, very mm. profound in the marketing space. Um, and a great guy. And we got on a train 45 minutes outside of New York City, upstate a little bit and, you know, on the beautiful Hudson River, you know, on the way to his little quirky office. So we have this amazing conversation with him and that, that may have been it, but the journey continued. We got back on the train, went into the city and we had a couple of other interviews scheduled, but that same day we were just standing around in New York City and ran into a bloke named Chase Jarvis, who is has a business called Creative Live. And this is a guy that I've been following for years. And here we are in New York City about to record a podcast just on the street near the Iron Iron Building, the yep. Flat Iron Building. Yep. And there's this bloke in, you know, uh, he, uh, headphones and sort of just on the phone. And I thought... We're only in New York once. I may as well go up and ask him if he'll be on the podcast. And so I went up and asked him and he said, bloody oath I will. American. So it was, you know, more of the American twang. But we had 15 minutes with him. He just stood there and chatted to us as an episode. And that went out as well. So you got two, there's two episodes. After that, we went to um, meet up with a bloke who is an Aussie guy that owns a restaurant over there, uh, a Chinese restaurant. The name's escaped me, but um, Eddie Buckingham, he's a restauranteur and absolute legend. He used to be Justin Timberlake's mixologist and um, has a great Chinese restaurant in um, Chinatown. And we we were there and all of a sudden, I see at the front door of his restaurant, Post Malone, who's a rapper. He's actually Marty's favourite rapper. And... Uh, <laughs> Went up and had a conversation with him. And then we went and did this interview with Eddie and it was just this magic moment. It was a magic 24 hours of yeah. um, wow. just meeting people, having conversations, just being on this journey, being open to anything, any possibility for that day. And, uh, you know, the the podcast was the reason we were there, mm. but what that opened and our commitment to actually just having a crack opened us up to so many of these moments across the three, three and a bit years. I'm sure our audience can hear it in your story and voice um, that imagine every day being like that. Mm. Like I just, I just go, you've, you've captured the essence, not only who you are, but your drive and your passion for what you do. But I just imagine I was sitting there and you took me on a journey, which was fantastic of going, imagine if every day was like that. You know, mm. part of your world was, and you, and I think, I think for now, people can approach their day like that. Mm. What if they just made a commitment to go? That's how I'm going to experience my day. That every part of this adventure is an adventure. Mm. Every action I do could lead to something more exciting, mm. and, and in in their worlds. I just thought that was a brilliant. It was a brilliant. Uh, yeah, explanation of your day, but I felt also joy. who you are. I felt joy listening to that. I was just I like, did. That, that's, that's just poor. I did. I was there. I was there rapping with Post Malone. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, 
<laughs> it was fantastic. And it's, it was fantastic. I guess that's being open to the journey, right? Like that that you let you went on a journey and you let yourself go there, and you know, again, following your passion. You know, I think that's a big big part that comes out of this, and. I think Tommy, oh, I don't mind you. I'm probably doing a lot of the questions and asking. I'm, I'm, I'm immersed in this, this little, little session here. But I guess the next part of that is around that, that content creation, videography, and what you're doing for work now. Um, we love working with you. I guess for, for the audience out there, like, how do people work with you? What are you kind of working on at the moment, and what, what gets you excited at the moment? Yeah. So. Off the back of the burnout from the Daily Talk Show and Big Media Company, because <laughs> we gave it a red-hot crack and also had a life outside of that, uh, surprisingly. But, you know, I've had a family. I've, I've got two kids, a five-year-old, and a, she's almost one. And so, yeah, it's been uh, in the last sort of eight months is after that business, I still work very closely and best mates with Josh, which is mm been one of the biggest rewards from doing something like that going on a journey where you actually can keep the friendship after even though it was very hard at times but also the greatest of times mm. and now i have a video production company and podcast production company vidpod i like to keep things simple yep. that's what i'm doing video and podcasting and so yeah i guess you know it's reframing success for me and as I mentioned and alluded to, the thought that I had in my mind was, I guess, just a product of culture. You think having staff is the answer. You think having a lease is the answer. You think making a bunch of money is the answer. And I gave it a red hot crack and, you know, didn't maybe didn't tick all of those boxes, but we managed to make a business mm. uh, that ticked along and we survived. And if anything, we walk, both Josh and I walked away better than when we started in that, mm. you know, we, ha we had some money, we had our assets, we had our health, and we had all this experience from that. And so now uh, I, I've, I'm running my own, my own business where I'm working with clients like you guys. And I mean, for me, the desire is to just work with great people yep. and the skills I've, you know, garnered along the way mean that I can charge the right amount of money and I can work mm. with awesome people and I can do work that I'm proud of or at least, you know, work that is helpful to the people that I'm that I'm creating it for. And so, you know, it comes with its challenges. But uh yeah, I'm I'm just enjoying the process. And you have your own podcast as well, obviously. Yeah. Tom? I you know, I've I've got a podcast called Tom Versation and I guess that's just it. Uh, the evolution of me and where I'm at. And so it's just a, a bit of fun. It's not as specific as you guys talking about, you know, targeted business, financial stuff, but it's, um, I'm enjoying having conversations and it's, you know, one of those things, Marty is just keeping the, uh, momentum. I found, I, I sort of stopped everything for a little while as in from a creation point of view, just after the business and kept my business going and, and started sort of ticking along there. But it's amazing the momentum. One of the other lessons from the podcast is creating momentum in anything you're doing. It it's it can be a real driving force, and it can even um, prevent some of that self doubt from creeping back in. And w w whatever it is you're doing, it's what I found was just doing something every day meant that some of that noise, some of that uh, that self destructive 
chatter in my own mind, sort of the volume went down as I just kept that momentum going. And um, I guess, yeah, it's, uh, it's sometimes a break is important, but other times keeping that momentum going is import- is more important than having a break. Yeah, brilliantly said, mate. Well, I've learned a hell of a lot today, Jace. I know you would have as well, but uh, it's been really reflective for me as as a creative, but also as a finance head to keep finding those creative elements in your life. And, and like you say, you don't want them to atrophy because that's your true expression. And And someone had said to me a little while ago that your voice is your personality. That is, that is who you are in the world and, you know, you can put on a nice shirt or a nice pair of pants and that's all great and a lot of people can do that. They can buy that with money but your voice is your true essence in the world of who you are and uh, and you've definitely demonstrated who you are today, Tommy. We're very proud of that journey and uh, we're proud to be a part of what you've, uh, what you've supported us with on the numbers game. So thank you, my friend. Thanks, Marty. Oh, one, one idea I had for you, Marty. And, you know, I like to bring back people's passions and one of yours was stand-up. I'm not going to be a fanagraph. No, 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 no. They do. You you hear of corporate businesses (laughs) doing lunch and learns. Mm -hmm. Why don't you bring back something called the lunch and laughs? Lunch and, and that's, laughs. Lunch and that's laugh. where for the maybe come in and for future advisory, you yes. do a stand-up set. They have lunch and then, you know, you do it for Innovate. You were up there doing some stand up, do a tight then, five. Then I can te- then I can teach all the complimentary lessons that apply to business out of comedy. I love that. And how lunch it's been and a laugh, benefit. Marty. We'll book you in lunch. for the first lunch and laugh. Uh, <laughs> lunch and laugh. We, we got a team planning Three day. Minute spot. Team planning day in a month. I'll give you the date. We're booking Marty in for lunch and laugh. You're coming in lunch for lunchtime laugh. entertainment for our planning day. I like it. I like it. That's been episode 46 of The Numbers Game. Thanks for joining us, Tommy. If you've enjoyed this, guys, share, like, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and don't forget to tell your friends. We're growing and we love having you as part of our audience. Thanks all. Game over.